have in my hand? The powerful Word of God can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at your neighbor and say, Woo, you better get ready. <laughs> We're going to be in Malachi chapter 3. Not a pretty chapter. <laughs> whole book of Malachi has uh, been, I've been a refreshing study for me. Hope it has been for you. God was very straightforward with his people in this book. He used Malachi to be very straightforward with them. And I want to talk to you today about how do you treat God? A title of an article grabbed my attention. The title was, Our Church Was Robbed Recently. Well, anytime a church is mentioned in the title, I'm kind of intrigued. I want to see what's going on. Well, here's, here's the, how the story followed that title. We are thankful that no one was injured physically, but it will be some time before things are back to normal. It's clear that more than one person is responsible. In fact, there may, be actually, uh, there may actually be many people who have been party to the crime. Two things are most unfortunate about the robbery. One is that we have no assurances that it won't happen again, and that's a bit unnerving. The other unfortunate element is that we're certain that those who carried out the robbery are members of our church. It's bad enough to know that a theft has occurred, but it's really hard to imagine that professing Christians would actually steal from God and the ministries of His church. We can certainly hope that anyone who has participated in this act will repent and repay what has been taken. It's reported that some of the stolen money has been used for vacations, cars, boats, designer clothes, athletic equipment, homes, and even dining out. We don't have a complete list of all the suspects, but there is, a, there is consolation in knowing that God knows. You haven't read about this in the papers, and hopefully you won't. I realize that some of you will disagree, but it would be difficult to get a conviction in the courts given the clever way in which the robbery was carried out. You're probably also interested in how much was taken. Well, the amount's undetermined, but it probably exceeds in the thousands of dollars. By the way, the robbery happened in full view of the church during Sunday service. It happened as the offering plates were passed during Sunday school and worship. It also happened as people who didn't come simply didn't give the Lord's tithe. Have you caught up yet? The more we'll talk, the less I realize I was going to get to preach today. <laughs> the people in Malachi's day had treated God badly by robbing from Him. Words of God. They had become bored with God. Their worship had turned from relationship to ritualistic. As a result, they offered blemish sacrifices in chapter 1, verse 6. The priests had become unfaithful in chapter 2, verse 1 through 9. Divorce was commonplace and easy in chapter 2, verses 10 through 17. Their words wearied God, chapter 2 and verse 17. Businessmen were defrauding their workers, cheating their customers, and taking advantage of widows, 
orphans and aliens in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But the worst treatment of God was that they were robbing him. That's in chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. How were they robbing him? By withholding their tithes, by giving the worst instead of the best, by giving the least and not the most. And their attitude was, how little can I give and still keep God happy? How little can I give and still keep God happy? The people proclaimed their innocence. But Malachi, like a prosecuting attorney, presents evidence to back up what he was saying. Five statements in these verses, 6 through 12 of chapter 3, that really stand out to me. Number one is the tithe is the minimum. Look at verse 8. Will Will a man rob God, yet you're robbing me? You ask, how do we rob you? And by not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. We read it just earlier. The tithe comes from a Hebrew word that means one-tenth. In other words, if you make $100 today, your tithe will be $10. It's really simple math. When Steve Forbes was running for president some years ago, he was proposing the flat tax of 10%. He said, if it's good enough for God, it ought to be good enough for us. I, I thought that was a clever way to put it. I agree. But it gets more complicated because in the Old Testament law, there were actually three tithes. That were required. The one in which Malachi is referring to here was for the priests. The second tithe helped celebrate the annual sacred feast. The people used these funds to throw a party in honor of God. And then every third year, the people would give another 10% to help the poor. And when you add those together, it equals 23% of a household's income. Tithing has always been the floor, not the ceiling. Of giving to God's work. In other words, tithing is the place to begin, not the place to end when you support God's kingdom. Larry Burkett, a financial planner, said it this way As best I can tell, God never asks less than 10% from anyone, but if that bothers someone, I can see no reason why they couldn't give twice as much if they desire. You're supposed to kind of laugh with that. But unfortunately today, the term tithing is often used in error. In fact, a lot of people don't want to hear the word tithing. In fact, a lot of people don't want preachers preaching about tithing. In fact, some people say tithing is an Old Testament principle, not mentioned in the New Testament. Well, I would have you get out a concordance and spend a little time in the New Testament, and I think you'll find it pretty good and mentioned several times. Today, people speak in error about the tithe. They, they say they tithe $50 when they really make $2,000 a month. If you give 2% to 4% of your income, it's really not a tithe. It's a donation. The tithe was recognized as God's. It's not my words. That's God's word. We should always refer to it as God's tithe, not my tithe. People in the Old Testament didn't give a tithe, but repaid it to the owner of all things. Really and rarely does the Bible speak of giving a tithe, but rather of taking, presenting, or even paying tithes. No one ever said, I feel led to tithe. (laughs) The tithe was explicit and objective. It required no heart response. It was expected, period. Offerings, on the other hand... 
You can use your pronoun my with that one. We're given from the heart when touched by God's grace. We saw it last week. We presented to you a need for some school children who would not have supplies to start school. And those of us that were thinking of taking this offering, we were hoping maybe for three, four hundred dollars. You gave well over seven hundred dollars last week. Seven hundred and forty four dollars and thirty six cents, I believe it was. Is that amazing? And the week before that you gave four hundred dollars to Chris and then the leadership of the church had added to that, so we were able to give him six hundred dollars to go back to school. Isn't that awesome? So in two weeks you've responded with gifts and donations. And yet you still continue to give your tithes. Wow. Wow. Some of you give in ways that just, it, it, it sends me to my knees. I, have, I come up here to the cross and spend some time with God. Because some of you will call me and say, I've got a gift for the church. The second statement we find in verse 9 is the curse came from disobedience. Look what he says. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. The Old Testament was written to the nation of Israel. God was addressing that nation. Because God's people robbed him, they had put a curse on the whole nation. They did that to themselves. In the play, The Will, by James Berry, a newlywed couple visits an attorney to make a will, and the groom had just inherited some money. He insisted lovingly that it all go to her. And the wife protested, no, let's include your cousins in that convalescent home that was so nice to your mother. And so they did. They, as they were leaving, the lawyer said to them, you know, you're unusual people. Please don't change. Twenty years later, they came to make another will. The estate is now sizable. They hassle about leaving the cousins in the will, and they cut the convalescent home completely out. <laughs> Each of them talk about the money as... It's my money, my estate. And then 20 years later, the man comes alone. alone. His wife is dead. His children have become spoiled. And he can't think of anything to leave, anyone to leave his money to. So he says, I don't want my family to have it. Here's a list of six men that I fought and beat to get my money. Give it to them. <laughs> and let them have the curse of it. Remember, partial obedience is no obedience. No one benefits from a tithe he or she holds on to. But we make we need to make one thing very clear. While there are spiritual and financial consequences for failing to give to God, we should never make the mistake of thinking that we will be cursed if we haven't tithed. Because in Galatians chapter 3, now I bring you to the New Covenant. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, you see it up here on the screen. Christ has redeemed us from what? The curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. So we rest. You and I can rest in the new covenant Christ initiated in His blood. He freed us from the curse of keeping the law and it's because of what He did for us that we should willingly and gladly obey. So we're not in a position of being forced to give the tithe as they were in the Old Covenant. 
but it's out of an attitude of gratitude for what he's done for us that we give to him. Amen? Third statement that jumped out at me in these verses that found in verse 10 is that the storehouse represents God's work. Look how it begins. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. In Israel, the people brought tithes of grain and olives and wine and meat to be stored in the temple. These uh, things supported the priests and the Levites, those who were specifically set aside for serving God vocationally since they did not have jobs outside of the temple work. And the goods also met the needs of the poor in the community because the priests would then distribute to those in need. And these goods met the expenses of the operations of the temple. Giving has always been God's way of financing his church. Can't happen without our giving. And when we return it to God, God can do great things. He never intended, God never intended for the church to be funded by bingo and raffles. He expects his people to return to support the church with part of their income. But let me take a slight detour. The purpose of the tithe is to support God's work. But the primary purpose for the tithe is to put God first in our lives. The tithe was not a legalistic regulation. It was more than the Old Testament income tax. God had a special purpose in asking for the tenth. It was to teach His people to put Him first. The principle began in Deuteronomy chapter 14. Each year you are to set aside a tenth of all the produce grown in your fields so that you will always learn to fear the Lord your God. You've seen it. I've seen it. Those of us who... Uh, are consistent in our giving and those of us that do tithe our income, we can testify. You've heard testimonies of your folks right here of how God has blessed them. We heard one this morning. Lost a job, found a job. And he, he contributed that or attributed that to the fact that he was doing the tithe to God. Wow. Now remember that tithing carries three elements. Time talent, and treasure. We're overextended in our, in our culture today. Amen? You may be in a job that's not paying you what it used to. Grateful for the job you have. You may be unemployed. Lots finding themselves there. So it's difficult to tithe materially. But what about time and talent? I just put out a plea this morning for some teachers in a rotation. What a great way to tithe your time to help young people learn more about Jesus. Because if you get it to them before the age of five, oh, they're going to keep it. They're going to keep it. You can still tell the stories that you were told when you were a little kiddo, can't you? Just maybe a little prompting. And the verses. Remember, you memorized verses back then. And all of a sudden, somebody will start to say one, and boy, here you go, and you're right along with them. And usually it's in King James because that's how you learned it. Amen? That's true. And not a thing wrong with that. Not a thing wrong with that. But when we put God first in our giving, He will be first in every area of our life. Consider that. The simple truth is at the heart of giving. You pay God first, and so often people reverse that process 
And that was what was happening in Malachi's day. They were giving God leftovers. And as a result, we're robbing God. The fourth statement that jumps out at me again in verse 10 is that the test challenges God to bless. See what he goes on to say is, test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See, God challenged his people to give according to the law so that he could bless them. Do you realize that this is the only time in the Bible where God puts out that kind of a challenge? It's the only place he tells us to test him. It's in the giving part. It's in how much will you give. Because see, if we give that full 10% of our gross income, whoo, mercy. You see what I'm saying? But God can do so much with that. I've learned so much from my father-in-law over the years. I admire him in so many ways. He worked for a company for 26 years, had planned to retire with them, had a retirement laid out and all that stuff. And they decided to let him go. He was 52 years old at the time. He had to move back from Chicago to Tulsa, move back in the house that they were, buy- were buying, were paying for. And then he had to go back out and find a job. At 52. And it's really hard for people to be hired when they're 52 years old. Most businesses don't want you when you're that old. But all the mean, in the meantime, the thing that I was so impressed with by my father-in-law is that he never missed giving a tithe of the income that he had to the Lord. So whatever monies he had, he tithed on that money. I saw him writing a check one day, and somebody asked him, he said, Howard, what are, you, what are you writing a check for? He said, well, i got to get the church check ready. Last week, we were gathered as a family praying for Cindy's mother. Her brother's a preacher, and I'm a preacher, and... I mean, I'm a real preacher. He's just a youth minister. He's not really a preacher. (laughs) So I was prepared for them to call on the reverend to stand and pray. But thank God Howard stood up and he said, we just need to pray right now. And he just led us in a prayer. All the family sitting there, we're sniveling away. And this man of faith is praying for his wife. It's amazing to me that people who trust God for their salvation, their eternity in heaven, won't trust God with their finances. Fifth thing that jumps out at me also in verse 10 is that the blessings are out of this world. Look what he says. See, if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. It's an amazing passage of scripture. Test me in this and see if I won't open the floodgates of heaven. Wow! The last time he opened the floodgates of heaven, it flooded the world. (laughs) That was the last time. And yet he's telling us here, I'll pour a blessing out on you. You can't even handle the, handle, you can't even measure what's going to happen to you. Wow. Wow. R.G. Letourneau 
invented, invented earth-moving machines. He gave away 90% of his income, but the money came in faster than he could give it away. And Letourneau said this, I shovel it out, God shovels it back. But God has a bigger shovel. A young boy went to the store with his mother. The shop owner kindly passed him a large jar of suckers and invited him to help himself to a handful. Well, uncharacteristically, this boy held back, and so the shop owner pulled out a handful for him and went outside. The boy's mother said, now, why did you all of a sudden become shy when he asked you to take a handful of suckers? The little boy looked up at her and said, because his hand is much bigger than mine. <laughs> God's hand is bigger. His shovel is bigger. His wallet is bigger. His generosity is bigger. His love is bigger. Make a game of it. See if you can outgive God. Challenge. I challenge you to outgive Him. Try to outgive Him. That's the one game that you hope you lose, and in time you'll realize that you're always going to lose because you can't outgive Him. We've had too many testimonies in here from people who tried to outgive God and couldn't. And then those that stopped giving to God, and what happened? And yet the blessings that came when they started giving again. Happens every time. But in the end, when we rob from God, we're actually robbing from ourselves. We're robbing ourselves of spiritual blessings, of God's provisions, of a church that can meet the needs of others. You know, I set out a vision for you a few years ago that we developed these buildings to give out food and clothing. Well, maybe that wasn't what God wanted us to do, but I believe with this one harvest food box, it's a way. It's a way that we can minister to people in need. So I hope that you'll get behind that ministry and you'll support it with your prayers and with your buying of those boxes. In fact, if we start ordering 35 boxes a month, they'll pay us back a tithe. How about that? That's the kind of company I want to hang around. But we're left with a choice today. How will we treat God? Will we rob God by not giving our tithes? Or will we be faithful in giving to God what is His? Let me just recap for you what you did last week. You gave seven over $744. And in giving that money, Don and Pat Vocal had volunteered to take that money and go to the Walmarts and buy the supplies. After church last Sunday, Peggy Morrow came up to them and said, hey, I know that principal. So Peggy called that principal and said, okay, what do you specifically need? And she was able to gather a list of the items that they specifically needed to help the kiddos get started in school again. Don and Pat were able to go and target their purchases more toward what actually would be needed so that those kids would have everything they needed at school this week. Got to the Walmart out here. They gave them a $50 gift card. Got to the Walmart at 81st and Lewis. And that manager said, whatever you buy, we'll give you a straight 30% discount. That's the kind of manager I like to work with. Oh, Walmart. That's the least they could do with all the money we give them. Amen. So... But nevertheless, they got a lot of stuff. Had some clothes, too. Took those out to First Baptist Church Olive. And the church said, you just leave those clothes right there. Don't you mess with them. (laughs) 
Because then the church people came, tithing of their time and their talents. They came and they took all the pieces of clothing, looked at the sizes, put it on the tables so that families could just walk through and get what they needed. You did that. You did that. Don and Pat got to see it, but you did it. I'm proud of you. And you should be proud of yourself. Because you are a giving church. A lot of people don't want to hear a message about tithing. They get upset. They get up and walk out. Okay. But you needed to stay to the end to hear what I really wanted to say. Because when it's all said and done, what I give to God, I get more. If I give my time to teach young people, I get to see them sit on the front row like this. I get to see them go to the waters of baptism at some point. Coach Darlene asked me Friday night, she said she's got one of the WNBA players who wants to be baptized. She said, would you come and talk to her with me? I said, no, Darlene, I don't have time for that. Are you, are you kidding me? I said, are we going now or when are we going? I was ready to leave right then. I love football, but I love that better. But hopefully soon I'll get to sit down with this young lady and share some scripture with her and get her reconnected to God. That's because you give. Whenever we're able to minister to some family. I spent three hours the other night with a young man who was near death. He's 42 years old. He's not taking care of himself. He's not been good to himself. And yet, he realized that he walked away from God and he's known me for several years and he decided out of the blue to call me and ask me to come meet with him. He can't get out of bed. They live in a trailer. So I went back into his room and found a seat. And for three hours, we just got reconnected to God. You did that. You do that by your giving. I could go on and on and on. I told him in Sunday school about how I wear a name badge when I go to the hospital so the nurses know that I'm a preacher. And sometimes I forget to take that badge off when I get in an elevator. And sure enough, one day I didn't put, take it off and... A lady said, you're a preacher? I said, yes, ma'am. I realized I had my badge on. She wouldn't have known if I didn't have my badge on. She said, would you come pray for my sister? I said, sure, tell me what's going on. I said, the doctor says she's going to die today. You, you make that happen. You make it happen. Father, we ask you this morning. We ask you this morning. To pour out a blessing. On your people at this church. Many of them give the tithe 
they testify of how blessed they are because of it. Many of them are burdened with bills and other things, but they're willing to give time and talent. God, thank you for that tithing of time and talent that they give. Father, time and time again, needs arise. Your people step up to meet it. When we start to rebuild that dining hall at Sunset Bible Camp, this church will be right in the middle of it. God, we can't receive that blessing if we don't have a relationship with you. Because it really all begins right there. So, Father, I'm asking you this morning, if there's somebody here, just one person, that needs to call out to you and claim you as a Savior, would you impress on their heart to do that today? Father, if they just let us know, we want to sit down and take them through the Scripture and teach them so they understand the decision they're making. We can run anybody through the baptistry. But we want to make sure that when they go in there, that they die and they're buried and they rise to a new life. Not the same old life. And they understand why they need to do that. God, there might be somebody in this group this morning, in this room, that needs a church home. They say, you know, preacher, we just want to be a part of this thing. We want to be a member here. And we've been immersed in Christ and... We're just ready to put our roots down and say this is our home church, okay? Would you move in them, God? But I, I know, I know there's people in this next group that are in this room. And they're just the people that need to be prayed for. I need somebody to put an arm around them, a hand on the shoulder, a pat on the back, and say, you know, together we can make it one more day. There's so much pain in our world. There's so much agony. There's so much uncertainty. But I know who holds tomorrow. And God, would you reveal yourself this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Always offer an invitation. Would you stand and sing with me as we sing it together?